at work. Thank you for having me. Um, I must confess, I feel, I know you said you guys are inclusive, but I feel a little out of place dressed up like this. <coughs> Brad told me, dress up, look good. And um, I don't even dress this way for work. Usually I get to wear <laughs> jeans and uh, maybe an untucked shirt. So, but I must say, I really love that song you sang, Call On Me. I will call on him. Have you ever wondered what happens when we call on him? I mean, really, how many of you would like it if people just called on each other? I mean, you know, like disturbing us, interrupting us. By the way, I have a bit of holes in my mouth. I've been fighting a cough for the last couple of weeks, so I hope, please don't, um, you know, it's not a sign of disrespect. I, I just need to keep my throat moist. <clears throat> but when we, when we call on him, you know, it's, it's not something that, that we typically enjoy. I mean, at our home, people get called a lot. Always the kids get called. You know, it's like, like we have one here, you know, and if I may embarrass you, which I'm going to do anyway, so Viraj is my youngest when we call him. He's got a um, couple of quick responses. One sec. I got it. Okay. <laughs> you see, God calls us to call on him. You see, whether we like it or not, he is a God of interruptions. And when Brad asked me to speak about why I love Jesus, I want to speak about the fact that I love Jesus because he's a God who is okay with interruptions. I want to, my passage today is taken from Luke 8, 43 to 48. If you guys have your Bibles, online stuff, you know, whatever it is, this is what we used to call a Bible. Um, <clears throat> It's available as an app from the App Store these days. <laughs> Luke 8, 43 to 48. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, which is Jesus' cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus was on his way to something big, and he was interrupted. We Americans, and yes, Brad said I'm from India, but I've lived here for more than half my life. An American citizen, my kids are born here. We're Americans. Interruptions are what we hate most. We are focused. We are time-bound. We are task-oriented. We sometimes step on our mics. <laughs> we need to get things done. We do not like to be interrupted because planning is king. 
We plan our lives. We plan our weekends. You call up someone, hey, can we get together? They say, yeah, you know, I think we might be able to get together Saturday night from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. January 2019. Because by then, Thanksgiving will be done. The holidays will be done. We have time to breathe. Philip Yancey, popular Christian author, said that the Filipinos would often talk about Americans who walked about with their gods on their wrists. He was talking about wristwatches. Remember those things that we used to have to tell time? You realize I'm kind of dating myself. Talked about old-fashioned Bibles and old-fashioned wristwatches. All interruptions are a sign of irreverence to the God of time in our lives. And I want to talk about how Jesus was interrupted. By the way, this was not unique for Jesus. Jesus was often interrupted by people. Blind people crying out to him and saying, Hey Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People coming up to him and saying, God, Jesus, would you please heal my child? The centurion sending him a message saying, You know what? I have a sick person. Would you please Come in and heal my servant. This is a God who lived with interruptions. He was a God who lived with chaos. This is not the kind of life you and I typically like to live. Through Scripture, we find Jesus performing 37 miracles, unique miracles. But this was a unique miracle in that this was actually a miracle within the context of another miracle. You see, Jesus was on his way to doing another miracle when this miracle happened. This was actually a miracle that was important enough to be recorded in all three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm doing something wrong here. Keeps slipping out. Now, Jesus was on his way. To, to going and healing a pretty big guy's daughter. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus' relationship with these Jewish leaders wasn't exactly kosher. They didn't quite like him. You remember that? They always thought he was kind of there. And so here are, now just, just imagine for a moment, you are one of his disciples. And you're sitting there and saying, you know, I think this is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. He is going to redeem Israel. But how are we going to do this without actually building a bridge with the Jews? So here is Jesus. He doesn't have a really good relationship with the institution of Judaism right during his time in Israel. And he's beckoned by a certain man who we hear is the head of a synagogue. And Jesus is on his way to heal this guy's daughter. So here are the disciples just saying, okay, this is it. This is it. Now we're going to cement this relationship. You see, once we have this relationship, once we have this cooperation, now things will actually begin to work out. And Jesus is called because this man's daughter is sick. I can imagine if we were the disciples. We'd be like, Jesus, really? You don't have time to stop. Come on. Let's go get the big things done. Chop, chop. Let's go. It was bad enough that people were slowing him down, but here was Jesus talking to his disciples, going along, and it says the crowd had mobbed him. Now, a couple of things over here. I'm sure those of us who've been parents especially those of you with your first kids, 
Remember how you felt when your kid got a fever? We've had three. By the time the third one came, it was like, ah, big deal. If he's not moving, call us. First one, woo, fever. Call the doctor. I mean, I think we called our pediatrician so many times when our first child was born. Second child, third child. We don't know how many kids Jairus had, but we know this was his daughter. Now, I find it really interesting that this is a daughter that is coming of age. Now, of course, this was the ancient times. There were no bat mitzvahs. But this was the girl at the crux of becoming an adult. And while he is going there, it's the strip that gets cut short. Now, let's talk a little bit about the woman. It says over there she had a constant bleeding. So she lived, according to Levitical law, in a state of complete uncleanness. So if you look back, if you go back to Leviticus 15, 19, it says, when a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of a monthly period will last seven days, and anyone, anyone who touches her will be unclean. So here's this woman who has been subject to bleeding, it says, for 12 years. And if you look at the account in Mark 5, it says she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she was getting worse. Sounds a bit like our HMO experience these days. Right? You spend all the money. It doesn't get better. It just gets worse. And here she is. She probably had to hide it because when someone has had this issue for 12 years, remember these are close-knit communities. People don't travel across the country. And by the way, it's not big country to travel across. You can drive across Israel in one and a half hours, uh, east to west, north to south, in seven and a half hours. All right, so these are close communities. People knew that this woman was unclean, and yet this is the woman who decides to come close to Jesus when she had an issue of blood. And Jesus asked the first question, who touched me? Really, Jesus? Who touched me? This is a crowd. For those of you who've been, I see a brother at the back with a Super Bowl, uh, you know, uh, hat. If you were at the Super Bowl um, celebrations earlier this year, I wasn't. I'm from India. We don't go out in the cold. <laughs> As a matter of fact, just so that you guys know, I, I, I know you do a lot of stuff here, but don't ever invite me camping. <laughs> People from developing nations come to first world nations to have running water and electricity. How you go and call that relaxing, we don't know. (laughs) Just thought I'd put it out there. A little bit of cultural experience here, right? And Jesus says, who touched me? And, And Peter says, Master, everyone's touching you. Now, I know crowds. I grew up in a city of 16 million people. Kolkata, India. It's in the city of Bengal. I saw someone wearing a Bengal. That's... My state, not Cincinnati. (laughs) Just so we know. Now, 16 million people, you can go out in crowds, and you don't know when someone touches you. It's the kind of jostling that comes with the crowd. Now, if you want to know what it means, 
to be touched when there's a big crowd. I want you to think about this thing. Imagine you're in a big crowd, and let me speak for men. You have your wallets in your hip pocket. It could be a big crowd, everyone's touching you, but if someone stole your wallet, you would know. Right? That's the kind of feeling that Jesus is talking about. Something left him. Did Jesus actually feel her uncleanness coming in touch with his absolute purity as a child of God? But there was some sort of an interaction. There was some sort of an interchange that Jesus recognized. You see, one of the signs of a godly people, godly people that you and I are called to, is when people interact with us, it may not mean much to us, but it means a lot to them. And when we understand that it means a lot to them, we are called to stop and take a pause. Because it's God using us. The second question, how did this woman get to Jesus? I mean, imagine this for a moment. This is a big crowd. When you walk around, I mean, I'm sure you've seen times when there are VIPs around, right? Ever try to get close to them? I mean, my son who studies in D.C. gets to meet, not meet, see VIPs go by. He wanted to high-five Emmanuel Macron, he got to do that, but boy, oh boy, there was security all around him. And Macron, that is not my son. <laughs> right? How does she get to Jesus, who is in the center of the crowd? Here's a woman. She is not only poor because she spent everything she had, she's cast aside because of her medical issue, and she's marginalized by gender. How does she get to Jesus? You see, Jewish rabbis don't hang out with women. I don't know the answer to this, but perhaps Jesus purposely gets to the outer circle of the crowd. And it reminds me that often we talk about being in the center of God's will. But in this passage, I see that the center of God's will is at the fringes of society. See, God is calling you and me to be at a place where we are accessible, not in places where we are cocooned by our own comfort. You see, Jesus set the example. He goes out. He goes out. He is there. The woman can access him. Can you imagine what that is like? Everyone wants to raise you up. You are the Messiah. You are the rabbi. You are the son of God. You are supposed to be king. And here he is. He is going out to the fringes. Remember this, brothers and sisters. The center of God's will is at the fringes of society because it is in the fringes of society that we encounter Jesus. Third question. Why does Jesus seem upset that she touched him? Does he have a limited amount of healing power? I mean, really, Jesus is not a Tesla. <laughs> All right, 300 miles, get recharged, and go on. Why is Jesus upset? Was it because he was interrupted? I don't think so. Look at what he tells her. He says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You see, when we are interrupted, we want to get 
done with the interruption. When Jesus is interrupted, he wants to give us more. When Jesus is interrupted, he wants to give us more. You see, in our own finite minds, we have a limited understanding of what we need from Jesus. But Jesus, being the creator God, he knows what you and I need more than you and I can ask or think. You think you're interrupting Jesus? You think you're happy with a small piece of candy? He wants to give you a meal. He wants to give you a meal. Here is a God who calls you. Here is this woman. First of all, she is accepted into his circle because he allows her to touch her. Secondly, she is healed, which is a big deal for her. But the third thing, which she did not expect, she is forgiven and she is sent in peace. I don't know about you. I find it hard to forgive people who interrupt me. They took me away from the big task. You know that when a new Netflix show comes, I got to see the whole thing, binge watch it. So why would my wife call me to come down and get something for her? What a travesty. I'm in the middle of a great book, and my son wants a ride. Really? When I was your age, I used to walk. I don't like interruptions. But on the way to healing another man's daughter, here is Jesus who calls her with the most enduring of all words. Calls her daughter. You see, we come to Jesus often for small little things. Jesus, it doesn't mean that Jesus is not interested in those small little things. He's interested in that. The way a father is. But he wants to give you more. Basically what he's saying is, hang around guys, I have more for you. I have more for you. The interruptions are often ways by God to create miracles. And I don't know if you know this, but any miracle in our life is an interruption. Miracle is going against the way things are supposed to be. This church is a miracle. I remember when you guys were on Baltimore Avenue. Who would have thought that this church would be there? I remember the first service at this church. I even have a picture of the back of my bald head. (laughs) This is a miracle. Did you expect this? Healing the sick became raising the dead with Jairus. Do you remember that? I mean, just, you know, he's going to heal Jairus's uh, daughter of sickness, but instead, because he stops, he not only heals Jairus's daughter, he actually raises her from the dead. We see a similar story with Lazarus. Here is Mary and Martha. They're waiting for Jesus to come and say, Jesus, come heal our brother. And then when he finally gets there, he is dead. He's in the grave for three days. And they say, Jesus, couldn't you have come earlier? And Jesus says, wait a minute. I got something bigger for you. I got something bigger for you. I am going to interrupt death in raising him up. Interruptions are the greatest challenges we have in the expression of grace. I find grace really difficult in interruptions. But Jesus, 
shows grace in interruptions. Grace is always hard during an interruptions. I'm not talking about the outward sign of when, you know, for example, you're in the middle of something and your child comes and says, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy, look, look at the picture I drew, you know, circle with a blue crayon or, you know, dots where eyes should have been. And you say, oh, that is wonderful, but deep inside you're like, why do you interrupt me? I mean, let's face it. I've been a parent, so don't, don't you know. And of course, if you never get interrupted by this, I have news for you. You don't have to come for the parenting seminar that they're offering you. <laughs> Jesus demonstrates in this passage his willingness to be interrupted, to give abundant grace, complete love, and compassion, not one of just healing, but also of wholeness. That is what interruptions do. When Brad said, ask me why I love Jesus, I want to say that I love Jesus for many things, but I love him so much because he's okay with my interruptions. He's calling you and I to be interruptions. All interruptions are a declaration of need. All interruptions. I met a young man the other day, last Tuesday. His name is Brian. He'd been in the system, in the prison system. Now he's out. He works with the ministry in Kensington. He says his daily job is to walk through Kensington with Narcan in his pockets, interrupting those who are going to die. That's an interruption. But it's a blessed interruption. I love Jesus because all my cries to him are an interruption. Throughout scripture, we see people crying out to Jesus. And he is okay with that interruption even as he goes about his work of managing the world. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called out to God. I cried to God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. This is a theme throughout scripture. They call out to God. We interrupt God. And God says, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. What does this tell us about interruptions in our life? Where do we see our story melding with Jesus' story in the part about interruptions? How often do we get interrupted when we think about all of the great work we're doing because those interruptions direct power away from the task that we have hand and then we keep asking God, God, why are you bringing interruptions? Maybe we need to ask this question. Are those interruptions a way that God uses to refocus our attention on that which is important? You see, when my son interrupts me when I'm in the middle of something, it is God's reminder about who is important in my life. Now, remember, all interruptions are not of God. Because if you look at the book of Nehemiah, people did try to distract Nehemiah. So I am not talking about every single interruption. But every single interruption, though it may not be of God, it is still a moment for the expression of grace because interruptions remind us that we are not in control, but they also point us to a God who lives almightily in the midst of those interruptions. 
Jesus' interruptions remind us that He is also the God of small things. It's not the big healing of Jairus' daughter that he just focuses on, but it's also that he focuses on the marginalized woman who was bankrupt and was kept out of society. And here he is, even without him finding her, when she finds him, he gives her his power. Interruptions remind us that diversions are a part of God's plan, and God is in the interruptions and in the diversions as much as He is the God who is within the plan. Let me ask you a question. Do you like straight rivers, or do you like the beauty of meandering rivers? Think about it. Just imagine that for a moment. A straight river looks like a line. It's like as if Picasso drew a river or those meandering rivers that kind of flow through the forest. Do you realize that meandering rivers are rivers that are going around interruptions? There is a beauty in interruptions. The meandering rivers remind us that the beauty of interruptions is something that God purposed in this life. He can create beauty from the interruptions in our life. The cross is an interruption to the way of sin. Love is an interruption to the way of hate. The empty grave is an interruption to the way of death. He wants to create beauty from the interruption you bring into the world and from the interruptions that he brings into your life. Let us embrace these interruptions. Let us remind ourselves of the beauty that God creates from the imperfections of the interruptions is what we need in the world. Let us learn to embrace this God of interruption. It's okay because every interruption that God brings into your life is a way of Him signaling that He needs your attention, not because He's a needy God, but you don't know how much you need God. I love Jesus because He's a God of interruptions, and I pray that for each one of us, we would embrace that interruptions. Maybe some of you are going through an interruption period in your life. I know I am. That's okay. Sometimes those interruptions are the time that God is asking us to set aside, to find the purpose. Sometimes you and I are maybe on a task to do something big and interruptions come, but that is an invitation by God to experience His grace. And my prayer for each one of you and my prayer for myself is that I would recognize God in the interruptions of my life and respond with love, compassion, and grace even as Jesus did. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you are okay with our interruptions. When we call you, we beckon you, Sometimes we shout at you, and you're fine with it. I pray, O Master, that we would embrace this life that you've given us, imperfections and all, and through it, see the beauty of our Lord Jesus in everything around us. In Jesus' name we pray.